the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's episode of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription based sports news site delivering in depth sports coverage for real fans. Get detailed coverage of every trade, every sign stealing scandal, every free agent storyline for your team, as well as expert analysis from Ken Rosenthal, Michael Lombardi, and dozens of other major writers. Get 40% off your yearly subscription at theathletic.com slash spottrack40 off. That's theathletic.com slash S-P-O-T-R-A-C 40-O-F-F. Good morning. My name is Mike Giannetti, managing editor of Track. We're going to do just a quick bit today with some NFL release candidates. Uh, boy, it's that time of year. We're heading towards franchise tag uh, window, which generally means teams are getting themselves in order to clear up some space. It's a little different this year, as we've mentioned before, with the expiring CBA. So I just want to go through a few of the names who are kind of hitting the hot stove. There's some decent-sized ones that are on the rumor mill, so we'll touch on those a little bit. Then we'll flip switch to Major League Baseball and wrap this thing up. A couple of signings to talk about. Obviously, we can dive back into Mookie a little bit. Um, but I also want to touch base on this Houston Astros situation because I did give the uh, the press conference this morning about 30 seconds of my time, and I'll tell you why I... I uh, quickly turn that off but we'll do that after some NFL talk all right the uh boy I woke up to a, a bit of a tweet storm with you know local rumors out of Detroit that Matthew Stafford was going to be traded this offseason uh let's just stop the train right there on that look at six months ago or even heading into the end of the regular season this was on the top of my list I I do think Matthew Stafford could probably benefit from a change of scenery and kind of see where the next chapter of his career can go. And the Lions have the number three overall pick. So obviously there's, you know, a chance to get a star quarterback there, not to mention the, you know, dozen or so free agent possible quarterbacks that we laid out in the last show. So yes, this is a year to get a new quarterback. Unfortunately for the Lions, this is not the year to get rid of Matthew Stafford. And as many of you have seen on Twitter this morning from me, uh, the dead cap is just too much. And I know that I've said in recent past that teams are willing to take on big dead cap hits now because of how big the, the league cap is and how much space many of these teams do have. Detroit's not in that kind of situation, okay? They're not, you know, loaded with cap space right now to the point of where they could take on a $32 million hit, and that's what it is. And that's not salary. That's bonus that's been paid out or restructures that have been paid out. That's just how it works. They've restructured him twice, including just a few weeks ago, they took a $6 million roster bonus for this year converted it to a bonus before the end of the 2019 league year to kind of push things out a little bit. So they've already paid him $6 million for 2020, um, which isn't a ton of money in the grand scheme of things, but it's enough to say, all right, they're, they're holding to, to Stafford for this year. And look at 32 million of dead cap. That would, that would mean almost 11 million lost in cap space to, to make this move, release or trade him. It's just not feasible. You, even if you don't want him to be your starting quarterback, you keep him <laughs> because of this. You keep him at $21 million, which is what his cap hit is currently, and you either use him or you push him to the, to the sidelines, draft Tua, and start Tua week one. I don't think that's the likely approach. And for all of you who are clapping back saying they got to get rid of Stafford now because Tua's the guy and we got we to gotta start Tua week one. Why? Why? First of all, he, he, he's coming off a ridiculous injury, right? I mean, he's had leg issues Meant, you know, three out of the four past years and, and none sooner than the end of his college career. There, there should be no rush with this guy. And oh, by the way, 
Patrick Mahomes sat an entire year behind Alex Smith. So you're telling me Tua can't sit behind Matthew Stafford for a year? He absolutely can and should. If that's the if that's the approach, if that's the the leak that's coming out of Detroit right now, is that you know Stafford Stafford's days are numbered because they're they're planning on taking a quarterback at number three. That's fine, but that doesn't mean Stafford's gone in 2020. The business side of it just says it, it shouldn't or or can't or won't happen. You keep Stafford, you pay him that you, know, you pay him outright. You make him the starting quarterback if he's healthy and he should be fine for 2020. And then, you know, at some, if at some point you've got to bring Tua in throughout the season, fine. Otherwise, Matthew Stafford's a heck of a gunslinging mentor to have for a year. And you bring Tua in in 2021 and go from there. I, uh, I'm fine with that side of it. But waking up to Matthew Stafford's out uh, just doesn't compute for me from a number standpoint. And I had to get that out there this morning. So, uh, disagree if you like. I, I look at crazier things have happened. Now we haven't seen a thirty-two million dollar dead cap hit to one player to one team, so that would be new, and I don't expect to happen. But uh, I guess I can't say it's completely out of the realm. Right? There's a one percent chance that Detroit decides to do this. But I'm gonna. I'm pretty firm saying, and I've tweeted as such that he's in going to be in Detroit in 2020 because of the numbers, because of the football sense. And oh, by the way, this new offensive system they put in place was kind of working out before he got injured and Detroit season was kind of hanging in the balance and, and maybe was, was starting to turn for the, or to a real positive approach before Stafford got injured. So there's no reason that Stafford and Kenny Galladay and Kerry and Johnson can't come back and, and sort of have an, a, a much abbreviated improved version of what we saw in 2019. Uh, so I'm not giving up hope yet. Like I said, there was a part of me a, a couple months back that says a change of scenery probably does make sense for Matthew Stafford but they're going to give him 2020 to, to figure it out. If it works, he stays. If it doesn't, or if they've drafted Tua or Justin Herbert or something like that this this coming April, then obviously we know we know the writing's on the wall. But uh, no, uh, this is not going to happen. Okay, <laughs> there's going to be moves, uh, and as I mentioned in the CBA podcast I did two weeks or so ago, we're just not going to have these kind of impacts move impact moves because you can't split the dead cap up, right? I mean. If you if you could do this trade June second and the and the dead cap could split across this year and next year, this is a maybe, maybe even a possibly at that point. But because you can't do that and the Lions would have to take the thirty two million all this year, it, it's a no for me. It's just a flat out no. So I'm not even going to consider this anymore. Um, hopefully, you know the numbers that are flying around Twitter right now and on the newscasts and all that are are putting this thing to rest. And if it look if it does happen, I'll be the first one to get back on this microphone and say. Wow. Okay. I, I, like I said, I'm not going to completely rule out the possibility, but if a team decides to take 32 million on for a quarterback to not be on the roster, it, it would, it would absolutely shock me and it should shock you too. All right. Uh, so let's move on from Stafford. We've talked a lot of quarterbacks in the last show. Um, there is a bit of a report today coming out of Cincinnati that the Bengals are going to try to trade Andy Dalton, which makes a ton of sense because, and I think I kind of mentioned this in the, in the show with Kevin, I don't know if there's an urgency to get Andy Dalton out of town from a Bengals standpoint. And it's the same thing I just talked about with the two of Matthew Stafford situation. Um, Joe Burrow might be ready and there's going to be a ton of pressure for him to start week one, but it just doesn't have to happen, right? You can slow play this thing a little bit. The Bengals are not in contention mode, no matter what they do this off season. If they spend 70 million on free agent signings and draft Joe Burrow and draft a new running back and, you know, get rid of a couple of players we'll talk about in a minute here. 
even if they do all those things and everything really comes together, they're just not contenders. So they shouldn't, they shouldn't act like contenders, right? And, and part of, of not being a contender is we don't have to make big rash decisions right now. We don't have to push the envelope to a point of where, you know, we want to try to move the needle. That, to me, you bring in Joe Burrow, and Andy Dalton is a phenomenal guy to have in the locker room with him. Now, Andy Dalton may not think so. And, I'm no, you know, I'm not in his head. I don't know what he's gone through the last year and a half. He got benched last year, but I'm sure, I'm sure that didn't sit well. Um, even though it was understandable at the time. So maybe he just flat out wants out and he's identified a couple of teams he would like to go to. And he's asked the front office of Cincinnati to say, please try to find me a trade to one of these teams completely within his right. Cincinnati doesn't have to do that. And like I said, I'm not sure that, th- that, that gets done. I'm, they're likely trying because getting some kind of draft value for him makes sense, but keeping him makes sense too. So I think it's probably 50, 50 right now. Andy, Andy Dalton is, you know, the backup quarterback to Joe Burrow or the four-week starter in 2020 versus he's traded to Dallas or traded, traded to Chicago or New Orleans to, to compete there. We'll see. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of uh, New England, by the way, rumors with Andy Dalton, which, look, uh, no one knows what's going to shake out there. We, we talked about it in length on the last show. But Andy Dalton is a capable quarterback. He has proved nothing less than that. You know, he hasn't gotten it to the finish line, but he's only 32 years old. I mean, that's in terms of quarterbacks, he's probably got five really good years left uh, based on, you know, his skill set. So if you put him in a system that kind of knows what it is, like a New England or like a New Orleans, which I mentioned as maybe he going there for a year to back up Breeze's last hurrah and then maybe takes over the reins from there. Um, if you put him into a situation like that with a Sean Payton or a Bill Belichick offense that knows what it is and Dalton just takes a year to learn it, uh, that's going to be really beneficial for that franchise. So I think he'll be coveted and, you know, maybe not as a starter in 2020, but he'll be coveted to come in and compete versus being maybe a a 2021 option. But again, uh, I call it 50, 50, because I do think there's a lot of value to the Bengals to keep him around with Joe Burrow in the fold. We'll see what happens. Um, again, to me, that's on Andy Dalton. If he's willing to stay for $17 million, uh, they'll, they'll probably keep him. Otherwise, they'll do right by him and find a good trade partner. So that's where that stands. That's, that's starting to hit the airwaves a little bit here. And the next one really is in Atlanta, who, boy, has any team fall, fallen faster than the Falcons, who you know, had the devastating loss in the Super Bowl and then just completely fell off the cliff ever since. And, and and oh, by the way, they haven't stopped paying people. I mean, they are they are they are paying a ton of cash. In fact, I'm going to look right now, but I believe they spent the most cash as a team in 2019. I, yes, and it's by a long shot. They spent 258 million dollars cash last year, which is 40 million more than any other team in football. Okay, it's a hundred million more than the Dolphins spent last year. That's the that's where the Falcons were, and you know they had a couple of maybe maybe a three week window there where they actually looked like they were coming on. Other than that, it, it's just been the same old, uh, you know, no impact. The defense got injured immediately to start 2019. It just seems like they can't keep it all together at the same time. The timing's been com- completely off with that team, and they're wasting a good bunch of Julio Jones. So this is a team to watch for uh, what may be a couple of eye popping moves in my opinion. And like I said, we're not going to see a ton of them because of the dead cap situation with the CBA. But they're not going to give up on Matt Ryan. I mean, that's not part of this because 
similar similar to Matthew Stafford, the dead cap just screams otherwise. I mean, they're way invested in this guy right now. He's in the middle of this contract. Uh, they can't even consider moving along yet until really after next year. Not 2020, 2021. I mean, as it stands right now, Matt Ryan has $69 million of dead cap attached to him. So now some of that does fall off in a trade. I mean, tradable dead cap is $55 million. So, you know, that's a no. That's an absolute no. And then next year, if they go to trade him, it's $39 million. So, again, probably a no. Okay. So as, these, as the Falcons try to rip some of these Band-Aids off and, and fix themselves, they're doing it with, with the premonition that Matt Ryan is going to be the quarterback. So you know that, does, that means Julio Jones is probably staying, even though there's a business side of me that says maybe he's one of the pieces that need to go because of what you can get back for him on a great contract. It's, a high, it's an expensive contract, but some of these teams that have cap space and are actually in fairly good mode, you know, like the Bills, like the Cowboys, like the Colts, for instance, um, three teams at the top of the cap space list right now who certainly think they can compete, uh, you know, those are teams that would probably be taking phone calls for Julio Jones without, in a heartbeat. Um, and if the Falcons think Calvin Ridley is a legitimate number one, you know, option going forward. Now, certainly he's not Julio Jones. I'm not saying that I understand what Julio Jones is and his contract says as much as well. Uh, what I'm saying is they need to get creative in Atlanta does in terms of how they sort of fix things because they're a bad team as far as the standings are concerned. Uh, they've got bloated contact tracks on their defense. Matt Ryan's completely locked in for the next two years, which I just laid out. And they have about $6 million of cap space to work with right now. So they can barely afford their draft, if that. Uh, so not good times. <laughs> so like I said, there's going to be a couple of eye-popping moves. I think it starts with the running back, Devontae Freeman, who signed a halfway decent deal, a deal that I thought was right. It, it's less than $10 million a year. It's about, I think it's $9.5 million a year. I'm going to look right now. Um, you know, at the time, it was about right for a guy who really didn't catch the ball. He was a kind of a one-tool horse. Uh, but effective and productive, and he was kind of he worked really well in the system. Uh, and injuries piled up and things like that. And you know, 2018 was basically a wash. He was really underutilized slash unproductive in 2019 with a you know a, a fairly okay salary. I mean, it was under four million last year. Here's the problem though: in 2020, this is a backloaded contract. That's the problem. Uh, we're, at, we're at the point now where guaranteed money is gone. He's set to make $6.5 million cash this year and hold a $9.5 million cap hit. Too much. That, to me, that's too much. You got, you got to the point of the contract where unless he was an elite running back in the league, which he was at the time of signing this, by the way, but he's just not anymore. He's 28. He's at that magic number for running backs, which is over 27 years old, um, or he's going to be 28 soon here. And, you know, a cap hit close to $10 million, cash over six. That's... Those are all red flags when we're talking about the modern running back era. So I, uh, I expect that this is move number one, that they move on from Devontae Freeman. Unfortunately, it's only going to clear him $3.5 million, which that's in the grand scheme of what they need. You know, that's going to be a, a, a small piece of the puzzle, puzzle, but it is somewhere to start, and I think that does happen in the coming days. Is he tradable? I don't think so. I just don't think even, – even just that $6.5 million cash this year – to me, that's a little much. That's, that's more than your Ingrams and your Latavius Murrays are making who are as productive as Freeman right now, and if not more in some cases. So I, that, to me, that's a, that's a bit of a high number. Uh, maybe you bring him in, restructure that, 
into a bonus to some degree to give yourself a little bit of space this year and then cut, cut him next year if that's a team I'm trading for. But, I mean, the trade value is going to be small because of the amount of cash on the contract, three years left. And, uh, you know, it's a running back, a, a soon-to-be 28-year-old running back. So they'll try to trade him. My guess is they don't get what they need and they move on from him to, to clear up the $3.5 million. But this is a team to watch. There's going to be a couple of defensive pieces that, that fall that they'd probably like to keep in-house. Uh, there's a couple of contracts they have to get done. Uh, you know, Keanu Neal is a, is, a, is a maybe at this point. He's set to play out his fifth-year option, which fully guarantees on March 18th. I think there's a chance that they flat out just cut him before that to clear the $6 million instead of paying that fifth-year option or extending him. Um uh, that's going to be something to watch because you certainly now maybe he's got trade value. I don't think he does. He's a middle of the road safety right now. And even though he was a number one over uh, a number, our first round pick, excuse me. And it's only a six and a half million dollar salary. Uh, so maybe there's a, there's a late round trade coming, but to me, you, you get out from under that guaranteed money and you release him to clear up another 6 million. So, you know, two moves here with Freeman and, and Neil, and you've got yourself over 10 million saved, which isn't enough, but it's a decent start. Uh, so that's probably enough on the on the on the Falcons. Am I saying there may be Julio Jones trade? No, because because Matt Ryan can't go anywhere, right? You're just going to keep this offensive regime in terms of the air attack intact. And oh, by the way, Austin Hooper is a free agent, and I'm going to tell you right now that they, they they can't afford him right now. Uh, they're going to have to move significant capital around to afford him. And uh, they've already said they're probably not bringing back Vic Beasley. Uh, I just mentioned they're probably moving on from Keanu Neal and Devontae Freeman. Um, Look, Hooper's a guy that can play. And he's going to be one of those tight ends this year, along with uh, Hunter Henry and possibly George Kittle, who can be extended, that should get the tight end mark over $10 a year, you know, closer to 12, 13. So when we're talking those kind of numbers, I don't think Atlanta can play ball with those kind of negotiations if there's other teams talking. So, that's a piece that they're going to lose right off the bat. So you can't just leave Calvin Ridley and some, some lesser talent underneath that and expect to, you know, replenish that with the draft picks and go from there and also trade Julio Jones. So unless they're completely tanking this year and tanking with Matt Ryan at quarterback, um, I would expect Julio to stay, even though, like I mentioned, the trade value would be significant right now. So again, keep an eye on this team. They're a, they're a bad team with no cap space. That's, that's a bad recipe headed into March. Something to think about. Uh, let's flip back to the Bengals real quick because I, I have heard a bunch of things coming out of Cincinnati, not just in Dalton, but it's, a lot of it surrounds the running backs. Uh, Mix, Joe Mixon's up for an extension. I think they like not love him. I, think we've, I mean, anybody who's had him on a fantasy team probably feels about the same way. He's underproduced from a number 48 pick, you know, top, top 50 pick like that. And especially in this day and age where running backs are getting picked less and less up high. I think a lot of people thought this guy was going to be something. He was a freak athlete. Um, he he, he kind of went to a spot where we thought he was really going to excel in, in Cincinnati, especially with Dalton at the helm. Uh, it hasn't panned out. I mean, he, he has, he's had a couple of, of solid seasons now back to back. He pushed over. He's been 1100 yards back to back seasons uh, in terms of rushing and almost 300 receiving. So, it's fine. He's not really finding the end zone like I think people want him to, but that's probably the Bengals as a whole right now. My guess is they stick with him. Um, you know, he's got a, he carries about a $1.7 million cap hit, which means nothing to the Bengals who have plenty to work with. 
but they probably do move on from Giovanni Bernard, who they kind of extended in the middle of the season two years ago, uh, maybe haphazardly to some degree. They really didn't need to do that before the 2018 season. Excuse me. It was actually before last season. So the September of 2019, they gave him an extra two-year extension when, you know, they really could have just let him play out his current deal. They actually added cap to it too. So it it wasn't a monetary move. It was, we want this guy around for a couple more years. Well, he uh, he got his signing bonus and he made $6 million last year. And I think that's probably it for him. Again, he's pushing, he's going to be 28 years old this upcoming season. That's the magic number. Just wasn't a part of the offense. And in, and in a system where, you know, Joe Burrow comes in and probably wants to throw the heck out of the ball, depending on how they're going to use him, uh, Gio's probably not a great fit. They probably think they can dip back into the third, fourth round and find themselves another version of Giovanni Bernard. And moving on from him clears about $3 million. So it makes sense from both sides of it, football and business. So I do expect that to happen. He's going to be one of maybe seven or eight running backs that probably fall off rosters this year, uh, lead, leading the list with Devontae Freeman. Um, and quickly, let's shift gears over to uh, maybe a, a higher profile running back in David Johnson. Last week... David Johnson was the Matthew Stafford of the world. All right. We woke up and everybody in Arizona and the West coast was kind of saying Arizona's done with David Johnson. They're going to sign back Kenyon Drake. They're going to draft somebody in the fourth round. It's going to be Kyler Murray's air attack offense. Uh, You know, this offense is ready to go and David Johnson is not going to be a part of it. All sounds great, except for David Johnson holds $16.2 million of dead cap right now. Um, If he's tradable, it's only 6 million of dead cap. So, I guess from that angle, I can get on board with it, except he's set to make over $11 million cash this year. Um, and two, two million of that is already fully guaranteed. So I, I mean, we'll see, excuse me, 5 million is already fully guaranteed and another two kicks in in about a month. So, um, I, to me, that's way too much. Unless you think, unless you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you think David Johnson can hop into a Bruce Arians offense again and just, you know, find his legs and stay healthy and become productive both in the run and the pass. If he's that guy, and again, he's 28 years old, so I, I hate to keep, you know, hammering on that number, but that is the age that we're talking about all these running backs right now. Um, to me, that's just too much. Now, he will catch some passes for you, and if that's what your offense needs, fine. But why would you give up a draft asset? for a 28-year-old with $11 million cash when you could draft one at 23 years old in the fourth round and his entire four-year contract would cost you $11 million. Uh, That's just me wearing the business goggles, okay? I like David Johnson a lot. I've had him as a fantasy option plenty. Um, Certainly, he's had his injuries, and his career has been derailed because of it of late. He had a bit of a bounce back in 2019, so... You know, you can understand that there'd be a little bit of value with him. But to me, $11 million is too much to ask. So uh, I, I, to me, this is a no. Like I said, from a dead cap standpoint, er, trading him makes sense for Arizona. You actually clear $8 million. Um, here's the other part of it. Arizona is an okay cap, sh- cap shape. They're fine. And then they can make other, other ends meet as needed, too. They've got their rookie quarterback. Um, they've got their rookie wide receiver. They brought back Larry Fitzgerald at a crazy value at 11 million again. So they're in good shape otherwise. 
um, you know, they're going to go, they're going to go look for a tight end and re-sign their left tackle, all those things. I get it. There's going to be money spent, but my, my, the point is here, they can handle David Johnson's $14 million cap hit right now. They can, even if he's going to be, you know, split squad, if they're going to have to pay Kenyon Drake or, or draft another running, running back in the third, fourth round. Um, I think they're perfectly fine. Just letting this thing ride out with DJ in the fold. And you know, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then it's 14 million of cap that, that they, were better spent using elsewhere, but it's an upside down contract, right? He, he holds more dead cap than, than cap hit by 2 million. Uh, to me, that's the end of the conversation. Unless you can actually find a trade partner. Uh, he stays with Arizona in my opinion. So that's where I'm going to, I'm going to finish off with that one. A couple more names here uh, really quickly. Tremaine Johnson, <laughs> the cornerback for the jets, who you probably forgot was even there because he's had such little impact for that team. Now this is a guy who was, I mean, he was, he was a great Rams player, great, to the point of where they double franchise tagged him. This guy made a ton of coin early on, not only in his rookie contract, but then with the double tags. Former third-round pick. Uh, look, he's, he's cashed in almost $70 million in eight seasons. Okay. Uh, just an incredible pull for a guy who, you know, you remember him a little bit in Los Angeles. You probably forgot he got signed by the Jets to a $72 million contract. Uh, he saw $34 million of that the first two years. He is for sure going to be cut in the next couple of days. Uh, it's $12 million of dead cap. They saved $3 million. So it's not going to do much for their, uh, their overall financial impact. But y- you're at a point now where you can get out of it. It's not an upside-down contract. You do it. You just cut your ties and go. So I expect that to happen for sure. And the other cornerback we're hearing a lot about recently is A.J. Boyce from, from uh, Jacksonville who came over from Houston off a, a really couple back-to-back really strong years to finish off his rookie contract, cashed in on a really nice free agent deal there in Jacksonville. Again, we kind of forgot he existed. I mean, the, uh, the advanced stats haven't been good to him. He's been in Jacksonville for three years. He's made $40 million. He's set to make another 13 and a half this year. Uh, I say no way. They could have got out last year. Uh, they chose not to. I think this is one of many defensive players in Jacksonville who are going to be released uh, in the coming days. He'll probably be the first, though. I think that could be, you can save $11 million right now to release him. I think that happens, and they go from there. They do need some cap space. They're going to have to look at First of all, I've got him at negative 1.4 right now. They're going to decline Marcel Darris's option, which frees up about 20. So that's 20 more they can work with right there. But, oh, by the way, they, they need to eat. Nick Foles is 21.8. And by eat, I don't mean release. I mean, they're going to have to just have him on the roster. And whether he's the starting quarterback or not, he, they're going to have to, uh, you know, be able to handle that 20, almost $22 million of cap because he's not going anywhere. I mean, it's a Stafford situation where he's got a $21 million cap hit and $34 million of dead cap. And there's nothing they can do about that. They can try to trade him. But if, if you heard our last show, there's 12 other quarterbacks I think I'd take before Nick Foles right now, and those guys are available, okay? <laughs> those guys are available. In fact, I'd take Andy Dalton on a trade before I'd take Nick Foles on a trade. So there's just one example of that. So uh, to me, Nick Foles is going nowhere. Jacksonville's just going to have to eat it and, and live with it and swallow the $22 million on their cap for 2020 and then move on after that. But um, that's another reason they have to free up space. Not only is their entire cap table in trouble, but they've got a backup quarterback that's going to cost them $22 million. So uh, they've got work to do for sure. I'm looking at Marquise Lee. 
definitely Darius, definitely AJ Bowie, as I just mentioned. There's probably a couple more names that come off the list. Guys, I'd even be I'd even be leaning towards Leonard Fournette here, who's been fine, but he's not been number four overall. And they can save four million, okay, because of his salary guarantee is voided with that ridiculous on field suspension, if you remember a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he played nice last year, but he didn't pr- produce not that nicely. Uh, he's a middle of the road running back making, you know, with an eight, almost $9 million cap hit this year. So if they're, if they're in trouble, that's a trick. That's a guy I see on the trade block, Leonard Fournette, if they have to really clear up more cap space. So like the Falcons, this is a team to watch. You're going to see some, some really notable names either fall off or be rumored in trades, things like that. That's a team that really needs some help. Um, couple of Washington guys that have been mentioned. I know Quentin Dunbar basically has come out and, you know, denied, but, but sort of said it anyway that he wanted to be moved out. Uh, you can understand that he's looking for a new contract. It's just some agent leveraging there as well. That is, um, and you know, the Redskins really don't know who they are yet. I don't think they even know who their starting quarterback is with the Alex Smith situation. Dwayne Haskins isn't up, up in the air situation. So I, I don't know that Washington makes too many mind boggling moves this off season. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if they can keep Trent Williams in the fold. That's a team, you know, really nothing to look at right now. Um, and I want to finish with these two things in terms of the NFL. There's plenty of other names, by the way, cut, cut names across the league. And I'll start to put together another article here really soon. This is something I do a couple of times a year. But, you know, look, quickly, running backs. I think Deion Lewis falls off of Tennessee. Jarek McKinnon falls off of San Francisco. Uh, I mentioned Gio Bernard. Uh, wide receivers the Chiefs have to do something with Sammy Watkins we've talked about this before do the Rams end up trading Brandon Cooks I think that's a maybe they certainly need to do something impactful to clear up their cap Uh, you know I mentioned Marquise Lee if we go down to the tight ends Greg Olson's already been released Jimmy Graham is probably getting released although they did there was a little bit more synergy with Rodgers this year than we've seen in the past for certain Jordan Reed has to fall off in Washington the injuries have just been too much to handle. So as soon as he can pass a physical, they probably move on from him. Trey Burton, same thing in Chicago. It's a free agent bust. He's been injured. You probably got to cut your, your ties there, even though it doesn't save a whole lot. Only a million dollars saved. Um, Delaney Walker as well. Uh, it just seems like Father Time has caught up with him, and Johnny Smith is the real deal behind him. So uh, you can say clear almost $7 million there and throw that towards Derrick Henry slash Tannehill money. And, you know, down the list, there's plenty of linemen. We've seen Kyle Long already retire. You know, what happens with Cordy Glenn? Uh, they do have their, their essentially next left tackle drafted last year. Joe Burrow will be in the fold. How are they going to structure that offensive line for Joe Burrow going forward? And, uh, you know, I'll get some more out here. We've seen some restructures that take a couple of these guys off the big list, the big cut list. And, uh, you know, but a lot of this is going to be, and I'll make mention of it again, dead cap can't be spread out this year you know with the, with the cba expiring that's just not how it works so there's only one dead cap number for a release and another one for a trade i'll make note of both of those uh, numbers next to the guy's name who i think is probably on a, a cap casualty issue and we'll go from there i'll get that article up probably by friday even though i'll try to avoid the uh yeah, I think I can get that up by Friday. So look for that tomorrow on spotchart.com. The, uh, the the next iteration of the roster bubble list. We'll have plenty of names on that. And then I mentioned I just want to finish with a couple of quarterbacks, even though I uh, talked that to death on Tuesday. The, the the deal to talk about here is Brady and Breeze, but it's not about where they're going, which I know is the hot take. It's about if they go or when they sign. 
And it's important because they have dead cap built into their contracts. And it's something that the, that the Saints do regularly. And they've done it with Breeze for many, many years. And the reason you can do that with these kind of guys is they're not going anywhere, okay? Especially in terms of Tom Brady. Tom Brady gets a new contract every two years. So there's always going to be dead cap just kind of carrying over. And, you know, the, this past iteration of a contract, they built in a couple of dummy years. Uh, and when you do that, the risk you run is if there isn't a new contract before the next league year, which in this case is March 18th, that dead cap accelerates and you take it all on in that first year. So the numbers to look at here, and I mentioned it before, but I want to bring it back into the conversation. If, if Drew Brees tests the market and does not have a contract in the fold with the Saints on March 18th, $21.3 million of dead cap will hit the Saints roster. All right? That's, that's how much is, is left over in voidable years on his contract right now. So that's why guys like me are sitting in front of a microphone saying they're for sure going to bring him back on a two-year contract at the minimum. I think three with two guaranteed. Um, you know, that's reason number well, reason, reason number one is you still want him to be your quarterback. Reason number two is you don't want to take $21 million and let him walk somewhere else. Uh, so it's, it's either getting done by March 17th or, or else. And oh, by the way, if he retires, that 21-3 hits. So it's, the Saints own it. It's just a matter of is it built into the next contract or are they taking that for him to ride off to another team or into the sunset? So it's a big number. It's a big number right now, and, and it's why I really do think he's coming back. And, it, and by the way, it also means if he comes back, it's probably going to be salary-based, right? They're going to give him 25 to $30 million of base salary because they've already got so much dead cap of bonus structure built into his voidable years. So look for that. Um, I, I, I just think it's clear as day he's coming back and, and they're going to avoid this mess because that's not, a, that's not a very good parting gift for Drew Brees to leave $21 million on their cap to a, a system that essentially won't have a quarterback. I mean, none of them are signed right now, right? Bridgewater, Hill, or Breeze. No, none of them have a contract. Hill will get a tender, but the 21-3 is not a nice number. Brady's is similar, but it's 13.5. Again, they had two dummy years built into this last contract. It wasn't a, it wasn't a $70 million contract. It was a, was a one-year $23 million contract, and it had two voidable years with $13.5 million of dead cap. If he doesn't re-sign in New England by March 18th, $13.5 million will hit. Not a, not a terribly huge number, but it's a big number. That's a big number for a quarterback not to be on your team. So something to watch there. Um, I, I said it Tuesday on Tuesday's show. I believe both of them come back. I think both of them get three-year, three $100 million contracts because that's a really nice... You know, it's not even top of the market. 33 a year is third right now. It's Carson Wentz and Jared Goff's number. So, you know, they're not reaching to the stars with that number. It's not going to be $100 million guaranteed. It'll be, you know, one and a half to two years guaranteed based on these guys' ages. And uh, go from there. So I think, I think it all works out by March 18th. These guys are both back in the, with their teams. I know it's been fun to, to talk Brady to the Raiders, Brady to the Chargers. Um, we really haven't had that with Breeze. Everybody just kind of thinks it's retirement or Saints. 
And I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, because of that dead cap, I think the Saints are begging him to come back right now and play out for another year or two. So keep an eye on that. All right, that's enough NFL talk. That's a lot of numbers here. Uh, let's switch gears. And uh, all right, let's start with the Astros. The uh, Boy, it feels like forever ago when the Athletic, our uh, presenting sponsor here, released that bombshell story that the sign-stealing situation in Houston was to a different stratosphere, right? That they were essentially doing things that, you know, the kids on the, uh, in Little League weren't even getting away with, which was banging trash cans and, you know, hitting benches and stomping feet and relaying signs on a pitch-by-pitch basis to their batters. Uh, we know what we know now. It's crazy. It's still kind of unbelievable to read those kind of things. I've gone back to that athletic article a bunch of times just to reference some of the data. I mean, Rosenthal, those guys, they did such an incredible job, and they've continued to do an incredible job unleashing this stuff, especially now as it kind of flips towards the Red Sox. Uh, we still haven't even received that report, so there's really more of this animal still to come forward. But I want to bring it out today because the, the Astros had their uh, – their cathartic first day of, of spring training yesterday where they got the entire team together behind closed doors, no media allowed, and basically said, this is how we're going to handle this going forward. And the way they decided to handle it was the owner and a couple of front, front office guys and Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve standing in fr- and, of course, the new manager, Dusty Baker, standing in front of a microphone in front of media answering questions. And I'll tell you how far I got into this press conference. I saw the owner step up to the microphone and say, we don't think this helped us win. He said, we won a World Series. I'm going to leave it at that. And we don't think, even though, you know, this is what it is, we don't think this helped us win. And I think that is the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard a baseball owner say. And I've heard some doozies. (laughs) Okay. I follow baseball more closely than anybody else I know in my circle of life here. Uh, And uh, that is to me, look, I understand football guy getting on Twitter and saying, well, you know, it's not steroids and not understanding just how impactful knowing the sign, knowing what pitch is coming can be anybody with a baseball mind or has, or, or can really do some analytical thinking with this, just logical thinking. There are 20,000 kids, you know, age 18 to 30 stuck in minor league systems over the course of a decade who can never get to the big show. And I'm telling you right now, one of the biggest reasons they can never get here is because they can't figure out how to react to a breaking ball. It's one of the hardest things in all of sports to do, right? You grow up in Little League, just slamming fastballs over the fence or slamming doubles off the walls. And the second you get to high school, 90% of those kids fall off the roster because things get real, right? And then as you progress, and if you go to college and play, and obviously, you know, additional pitches come into the fold, the, the strategy of not knowing the pitch is everything. That's the one advantage the pitcher has over the batter, truly. I mean, yes, you can say a guy can throw 102 and you can't catch up to it. That's rare now. Most, most batters would actually love to hear, hear throw 100, give me 100 down the middle. I'll, I'll figure it out, right? We can figure that out. But you throw me 100 down the middle and then switch it up with an 88-mile-an-hour breaking ball, now you've got a, a distinct advantage over me. But if I'm a batter... And I know that 100, million, 100, 100 mile per hour fastball isn't coming. I know it's going to be a slow pitch, and I just have to locate it and, and put my bat on the ball from there. That, that advantage is gone. It's 100% gone, okay? There's so much scouting on these pitchers, right? The Jose Altuis Jose of the world, these guys are sitting with iPads on bus rides. They're watching pitchers pitch forever, 
I mean, there's so much data now on these guys that they can figure out where the fastballs are locating and first pitch generally what's going to be pitched. There's all that, all that stuff you can take in, which, you know, is is an advantage today that those, that batters didn't have 10 years ago. Right. So they've already got all this data that they can go to. But then if you just go back to bang a trash can twice and it means a breaking ball is coming and the pitcher can just quickly in two seconds reset his thinking and now move up in the box a little bit, you know, get, get, get his hands back a little, a little slower because, you know, he's got to wait and just locate. Guys, <laughs> this, doesn't, this isn't rocket science. This, this 100% helped the batters every single time. Every single time there was a garbage can ba- uh, hit, that, batter, that batter's chances of hit, getting a hit improved greatly. It's just a fact. And it's different than steroids. It's different. Yes. Uh, you know, our, our co-host Kevin made this point, and I'll agree with it. Fly balls that, that were caught before steroids were now going out of the ballpark. There's no question. You could miss and not barrel a ball up and still get a home run if you were jacked. There's no question about that. But guess what? Most of the time, you're not even hitting that breaking ball if you don't know what pitch is coming, okay? Most of the time, right? I mean, 300, 30% is exceptional in baseball. So most of the time, you're not hitting that pitch. But if you know it's coming, that, that, that number goes up exponentially. Whether you're jacked or you're a slim little, little, little kid with a baseball bat, okay? If you know it's coming, it's just easier. Fact. So that owner, Jim Crane, could have gone up to the microphone and said anything else. He could have said, we're, you know, we're going to let the story play out. You know, what's been written has been written. You know, we're going to go on. We're looking ahead to 2020. Whatever he wanted to say, fine. Any of those canned, cliched things, fine. But don't go say that. Don't go say that this, this, this thing we did wasn't an advantage to our team. We won the World Series because we won the World Series. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Okay? Those, those players had an advantage, and any player in the league will tell you as, as much. And, oh, by the way, every team is doing this. Okay? Every Little League team did this. I used to get a double and look in from second base and try to tip my hat to my batter. Look, at this is part of the game. And the reason everybody does it is because it's effective. It's effective. Okay? Even in high school, okay, if I look down and I see a number, a three, three fingers going down, I know that's probably not a fastball. And if I can relay that, relay that to my batter, that's great. Or if I'm, you know, even think about it from, the, from a base runner standpoint, okay? If I'm Jose Altuve and, I'm, and I want to steal 50 bases this year and I hear two bangs on a garbage can that a breaking ball is coming, I'm stealing second base, folks, because I'm going to get a better jump off a breaking ball, all right? There's a lot, there's a lot to this. There's a lot to this, and they took advantage of it, and they were successful. They're a great team with great players, but this 100% helped them win the World Series. And for the owner to stand up there and say that in those words today, after everything we've read, is an embarrassment. So boo the hell out of the Astros this year, guys. Do it. Boo them, because that's the the stance they're taking. They're taking, we did it. We did it better than you, because we know you're doing it too. That's fine. Say that if you want. We know you're doing it too, but we did it better and we won the World Series. Okay? That's fact. So boo the hell out of them this year. Please. I'm going to. I'm going to a bunch of games. I'm even considering going to the Mets game in early April and booing them in Houston. Okay? (laughs) Because that stinks. That stinks. You get Jose Otubi in front of that microphone and say, we did this. You know, we went too far with it. 
it's done. It's in our past. We're, we just can't, we, we're excited to get out there and play baseball, you know, like it was intended to be played. Not only am I not saying this, but I give him a hundred percent of the credit because fine, you did it. You went too far. You know, Carlos, Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora had some system in place as savvy veterans to, to make everybody buy into this and make it all work. It's out guys. All right. The details are out in full. I mean, the athletic blew this thing out of the water. Okay. They did. And please go back and read it. If you really didn't get through it, go back and read the article. And there's been 20 more since really detail on this thing. All right. The details are in the, are in the print. Just get up to the microphone and say, we did it. We're sorry. That part of our chat that our past is, is in the past. We're going to go play baseball the right way now. Just do it. Right. I mean, Look, to some degree, Alex Rodriguez did with steroids. And, you know, he's going to be the lead play by, color analyst for Sunday Night Baseball right now. Okay, his second act is, is going to be aligned with his first act. And he screwed up his first act. There's no question. All right. But so did five dozen other big athletes in this sport in terms of steroids. And none of them are coming out and saying, I screwed it up. And, none of, and we don't really hear about them anymore either. Right. I mean, where's where's Roger Clemens right now who fought this tooth and nail and continues to fight this tooth and nail that he never did that. I'm not accusing him because I don't have the evidence, but somebody does. Right. Somebody does. I just think A-Rod's gotten a better deal out of this because he went in front of a microphone and said, I screwed up here. And the fact that the Astros couldn't bring themselves to do it after all the evidence has been put out in front of us stinks. So boo him. Boo them all year, and I hope they all bat 200. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday with another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. 